Hello, everyone. I'm Pam Carroll. Welcome to this episode of Employment Matters. Employment Matters is a podcast series brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest and most prestigious network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms in the world. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Erin Coos from Sherrod Coos, Mark Benoit from Larangi Marcou, and Nancy Bartow from Bartow Durnford. All of my friends here today herald from Canada. So we're going to talk about a Canadian perspective, but more specifically, what companies need to know about having employees in Canada. And Nancy's going to lead off our discussion today. Thank you, Pam. We know there are a lot of similarities between Canada and the U.S. and between Canada and many European countries. But we know there are also important things about having employees in Canada that companies setting up Canadian operations need to know. Let's take a few minutes and review some of the most critical things for employers to bear in mind. Erin, why don't you start us off? Great. Thanks, Nancy. I think two of the most critical things for companies, especially those out of the U.S., to understand about having employees in Canada are, number one, that each Canadian province and territory, as well as the federal sector, have their own system of employment laws. And number two, there's no employment at will in Canada. And I'm going to uh, talk about this a little bit more, but in reverse order. In Canada, if an employer is going to terminate an employee without just cause, and just cause is a very high standard, they have to either provide working notice or pay instead of or in lieu of working notice. Each province has its own legislation that sets out the minimum amount of notice that must be provided to an employee, often referred to as employment standards legislation. But unless there's a properly written and implemented employment agreement in place, the courts will step in and say the provincial legislation is simply a minimum. And the courts will assess what they consider to be the appropriate or, and you can't see me using finger quotes, reasonable notice period. Now, generally, the amount of notice depends on a number of factors, such as the employee's age, their position in the organization, their compensation, and how long they've been with the company. There's no set formula for reasonable notice, but generally, and I say generally, it starts at about a month per year of service, and it can move up quickly from there. Now, the good news is this can be dramatically limited in most provinces through a well-drafted and properly implemented employment agreement. And that's where we get to the impact of some of the differences in the laws between the province. So, for instance, in Nova Scotia, Nancy, your home province, an employer doesn't just have the freedom to terminate an employee with more than 10 years service by providing notice. And that's not the only difference. Each province has its own rules around hours of work and overtime, minimum wage, and even the process of a company becoming unionized. So you really have to understand where you're going to be setting up and what local laws are going to impact your relationships with your employees. Now, Mark, why don't you describe a bit about the very unique legal regime in Quebec? Thanks, Aaron. Uh, it's quite similar. There's certain very important distinctions to be made. Again, if we're talking a termination without just cause in Quebec uh, and understanding that Quebec is governed by civil law, contrary to the other provinces which are governed by common law, and I'll get that to that in a, mo in a moment. But again, the same principles apply. If you want to terminate without just and sufficient cause, then reasonable notice must be given to the employee or a notice uh, or an indemnity in year thereof. And it's based on the same criteria that Aaron explained, length of service, age, etc. cetera. Uh, there are two things to, to understand about Quebec, which are, are very particular. Uh, under labor standards, there, of course, there's a minimum notice to be given to the employee. 
Uh, but there's also a provision in the law which says that any employee who has two or more years continuous service with the employer has a recourse to contest the termination of employment. Uh, and if an employer is not successful in establishing cause, then the normal remedy would be to reinstate the individual with full back pay. So that can be a very expensive proposition for an employer. So understanding that the two-year uh, limit or, or service is really a probationary period. If you want to get rid of an employee, please do so prior to the, having him reach two continued years of service. With respect to contracting out of the reasonable notice, in Quebec, it's much different. An employee and employee cannot agree beforehand to something which would be unreasonable. And I'll give you an example. Let's say you have a contract uh, that says that uh, the employee will only be entitled to minimum statutory requirement. And let's say we decide to terminate the employment 30 years later, a court will come to the conclusion that th that provision in the contract is unreasonable and it will be unenforceable. That's very different from the common law uh, jurisdictions where if it's properly drafted, I understand, Aaron, you can uh, contract out of, uh, of a reasonable notice, not in Quebec, that will be deemed uh, unenforceable and we won't be able to rely on that particular provision. So some of that is requiring the companies to kind of do their homework up front to lay Absolutely. the groundwork to avoid the problems later. Yeah. And, you know, I tell my clients that be very careful when an employer reaches the magic two-year mark. Take a decision prior to that. If there's a doubt about keeping this employee, you know, our recommendation is to maybe terminate the employee before reaching that particular uh, mark, the two-year mark. And Mark, is it considered permissible to terminate someone before the two-year mark to avoid the vesting of those rights? Well, there's a provision, again, that you can't uh, do something that is clearly uh, with the intention of circumventing the law. But the onus of proof for an employee is almost impossible to meet. Uh, I mean, it, it's been attempted, but most judges have come to the conclusion that as long as you act before the two-year period, it's not a decision that can be reviewed. Thank you, Mark. We know that we know privacy, including employee privacy, has its own specific regime in the EU. How are issues of employee privacy addressed in Canada? We have a bit of a patchwork in Canada. So we have one federal piece of legislation, uh, short form PIPIDA or PIPIDA, the Personal Information Protection and Electronic Documents Act, one of the most cumbersome uh, names of a piece of legislation you've ever heard. And that applies to employees of what are called federal works or undertakings. So that's employees in the banking sector, telecommunications, airlines, certain industries that are actually set out specifically in our constitution. Um, all of the other employees in Canada are provincially regulated. So then we look to what provincial laws exist that deal with employee privacy issues. So in terms of the provinces, some provinces have legislation governing the handling of employee health information. Uh, but most provinces, including Ontario, Canada's largest province, have no general privacy legislation governing employee personal information absent health information. Uh, there is provincial privacy legislation more generally in BC, Alberta, and Quebec, and I'm obviously going to turn it back to Mark in a moment on that. Um, and we have seen some court cases that create a tort to try to sort of fill the void where the breach of privacy is particularly egregious. Finally, in a unionized environment, many arbitrators recognize a, what they call a general privacy interest that employees have when dealing with issues like surveillance in the workplace. But again, that's not based on a statute. It's based on the interpretation of arbitral principles. So, Mark, given that you are in one of the provinces that actually does have provincial-specific 
specific privacy legislation. Tell us a bit how that works. Thanks, Erin. We do have specific uh, legislation dealing with personal employee information. And I guess what I want to say today is an employer can, for a legitimate reason, ask his employee for personal information. For instance, address, uh, name, of course, which goes without saying, uh, social insurance number for legitimate purposes. Now, the issue is really when the employer wants to communicate that information to a third party. The cornerstone of this legislation is consent. Before an employer can transmit or communicate personal information he has on an employee, the rule is he has to give have specific consent, and it's written consent, from the employee in order to divulge that information to any third party. Is that something they'd be doing at the hiring process? To obtain that consent up front? You can't get a general waiver to start. It's on a case-by-case basis, and it can be revoked at any time. So even if the employee signs upon hire and decides during employment to revoke his consent, he can. So we're looking at very uh, punctual requests, and we want the employee to make sure that he knows what permission the employer has to divulge to whom. There are other uh, sections dealing with the protection or keeping of the confidential information, private information, it has to be stored in a particular place. And there are uh, uh, requirements that an employer must follow in order to keep this information. But I, I guess the takeaway here is really to one, yes, an employer can uh, have personal information for on an employee for a, a legitimate reason. And anytime he wants to divulge that information to a third party, consent will be required. So moving on, I think it would be important just to say a few words on non-competition agreements. Uh, In Quebec, it's totally uh, legal to to have with an employee a non-competition agreement to the extent they respect certain uh, rules as to the length of time of the non-compete, the territory covered, and the nature of the the activity we want covered by this non-compete. Contrary to the rest of Canada, and Aaron, you can chime in when you want, but... uh, if you terminate an employment, if you terminate employee's employment without just cause, then any contract which has a non-compete or the non-compete itself is unenforceable. That's very important for employers to know uh, because they have these employees sign the non-competes, they terminate employment, let's say for redundancy or job elimination. Once you do that, that's not considered just cause. The, the non-compete becomes unenforceable. It's unwritten and it can't be recognized by any court in Quebec. And I think, Aaron, that's a bit different from your Before jurisdiction. Before we move to Aaron, would you, from an employee employer standpoint, setting up the non-competes? And um, would these employees be flagged differently within a company so that I would know that there's one in place? It depends on the level of the employee. Of course, we're not going to ask every employee to sign a non-compete, but your key personnel, we're going to try to cover them with a non-compete. Uh, but again, the, the rule is if you terminate that individual without cause, that becomes unenforceable. So what you have to do in Quebec is once you terminate the employee, you have to get a separate agreement, a new non-compete, and you'll have to provide additional consideration for the non-compete at the time of termination. So that, again, is possible, but that's what you've got to think of when you want to terminate someone in Quebec. And certainly if you want to make sure that you have certain uh, safeguards with respect to the competition that this employee leaving could do. So I think that our listeners out there today that might be within the HR space and their responsibilities, you're giving them a tremendous resource here with lots of checklists now that they're yes. being able to formulate and take back and to make sure they put these things in place. Uh, it's essential. How might that differ in your 
province. Uh, well, in the rest of Canada, so the common law jurisdictions in Canada, you can have non-competes and you can have them signed on the way in the door. And the question is always, are they going to be enforceable as the employee leaves employment? And so you need to start with the understanding that the courts will say non-competes are per se unenforceable because they're a restraint of trade. So in order to have a court enforce a non-compete, you have to be able to show, number one, it is highly specific in terms of the geographic jurisdiction. Um, the time limit is very clear. But more importantly, and where most non-competes fall down, is you have to be able to show that no other less restrictive means protects the employer's legitimate business interests. Specifically, it tends to be a non-solicit. So... The onus is on the former employer to show a court that a well-drafted non-solicit isn't enough protection to protect the employer's legitimate business interests. So you tend to be dealing with very, very high-placed people, people who are the face of the business in the industry or who have had the most touch points with a company's clients. Those are the kinds of people where you have a shot at getting a non-compete enforced. But one of the things you really have to remember, and this is one of the most critical distinctions between the US and Canada on this point, we don't have something called blue penciling in Canada. In the US, if your non-compete is poorly drafted, but you have a non-solicit that's drafted fine, the courts will effectively strike out what's bad, but let you enforce what's good. In Canada, they won't do that. What you need to do when you're actually structuring the agreement is to make sure that your non-compete is a separate provision in the agreement. It's not some kind of a cascading down part of the same clause. It has to be a separate provision. And you have to have language in there clearly saying if any pr provision of the contract is found unenforceable, the rest is enforceable. So a severability provision. So in that circumstance, you can have a non-compete and a non-solicit if the non-compete falls you'd still have an argument the non-solicit can be successful. So even down to things like how you structure the agreement has to be done differently in Canada. And so these are kind of some of the things that we want folks to think about when they're advising their clients with Canadian operations or thinking about starting up Canadian operations. And one of the biggest pitfalls we find is that especially U.S. companies will, will use the same non-compete or non-solicit agreement for Every level of employee. And From you the receptionist to, to the CEO. Exactly. So you have to remember that they do have to, there's no cookie cutter approach in Canada to these things. So while there's a lot of things that were similar in U.S. versus Canada, when you're drafting these things, we want to do it with a Canadian perspective, with a Canadian law. You have all given our listeners today some wonderful resources and checklists and things to think about so that they can uh, take care of these things in advance before they become problems down the line. We're just about out of time. I want to thank everybody for being here with me today and sharing your insights and thoughts on these hot topics for what companies might need to know when they're going to have employees in Canada um, as that impacts the workplace. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today for another episode of Employment Matters. If you'd like more information on any of these topics that have been presented, there's a lot of resources on the ELA.law website, as well as information on how to contact these member firms, these individual experts that have shared their thought leadership with me today. Visit us at ELA.law. And also, I want to remind you to follow us on Twitter at ELA Global.